Star Wars 7x7 episode 1939. So how exactly could that giant chunk of Death Star wreckage that we've seen in the footage from The Rise of Skywalker actually have arrived where it did without utterly destroying the environment? <laughs> We're going to talk about that with a physics professor. Yes, Patrick Johnson, author of The Physics of Star Wars, is back to consider the possibilities. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode where this is going to be the first of a couple of conversations with Patrick Johnson. Actually, I recorded one longer conversation with him and I'm going to split it up for you into different topics. Today's is going to focus on the ocean moon of Kef Beer. Yeah, that's what it's called. And that giant chunk of Death Star wreckage that has appeared there somehow without utterly destroying the moon. How is this possible? And if anyone's going to have an answer for us before we actually watch the movie, it's potentially Patrick Johnson, PhD. Here is his official bio. He is an assistant teaching professor at Georgetown University. He previously taught at Marquette University and William Jewell College after receiving his PhD in physics from Washington University in St. Louis. Patrick gained his passion for Star Wars from his father and has carried it throughout his life watching the entire series in a marathon before the premieres of both episode 1 and episode 7. And shucks, I forgot to ask him if he was planning on doing the marathon that's coming up too, so I'll ping him about that and we'll find out. But as for today's episode, yes, Patrick is going to speculate as to how it's possible that this giant chunk of Death Star wreckage could have arrived on the ocean moon of Kefbir without utterly wiping it out, and who's to say that life on the planet wasn't wiped out? That's a part of the discussion. Additionally, we're also going to talk about the asteroid that hit Earth and wiped out the dinosaurs and compare that to the impact of a Death Star hitting this particular moon. And we'll also consider the uniformity of Imperial design as well well as the possibility that this is not Death Star 1 or Death Star 2, but that it could even be a third Death Star that nobody knew about. So without further ado, we're going to get into the interview with Patrick Johnson, PhD, physics professor at Georgetown University. Actually, I'm going to take a quick little break and then we'll come back with the interview and the interview will you know, stop as our discussion of Kef Beer stops. So I'm going to say right now, thank you so much for joining me for the episode and may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Now stay tuned right after the break, my first conversation of a few new ones with Patrick Johnson of The Physics of Star Wars. Hey Rebel Razor, I've made some changes to the asteroid belt level at patreon.com slash sw7x7 and they are all with sponsors in mind. So if you want to get the word out about your business, your product, your service to a dedicated Star Wars audience, then please check out patreon.com slash sw7x7 and look for the asteroid belt level for details. Again, that's patreon.com slash sw7x7. Patrick, thank you so much for coming back on Star Wars 7x7. How are you? I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me on, Alan. Uh, it's been an exciting time with the new trailer coming out. Like, uh, It's getting me really excited uh, for, I guess, two months away now, pretty much. So, yeah, uh, I'm very excited for the new film. Excellent. And so, 
Just out of curiosity, um, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is, of course, the giant piece of Death Star wreckage that we see in the footage from The Rise of Skywalker. Our first glimpse of that came back in April when they released that teaser. Like, can mm-hmm. you, yeah. you know, think back to your initial reaction, not even your professional reaction, but just <laughs> your personal reaction? Yeah, so, uh, like, uh, my personal reaction was very much like the first images of the Death Star when you first see it in uh, episode four, New Hope, like it's this very impressive base. And then like seeing it evolve over time into Death Star one, Death Star two, and then like seeing it in Rogue One, it's always this like imposing thing, uh, like ready to destroy worlds. And then to see it having crashed down onto the surface of a planet and just laying in ruins, it's, uh, it's quite a shift in like power structure of like, oh, this thing is just barely able to emerge from the surface of an ocean now, much less destroy an entire planet. Right. And um, just also out of curiosity, too, <laughs> when yeah. you first heard Palpatine's laughter. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I will say <laughs> uh, I, I'm torn on this because my I will say, if I'm being honest, my first reaction was like, that can't. And then my next reaction was like, are they removing all of the emotional stakes that were carried in the uh, end of Return of the Jedi from me? And then I thought, well, they have brought back other characters from the death, like uh, Darth Maul. I thought he was done for, uh, and they've brought him back. And uh, I, I must accept what the corporate overlords have provided to me. <laughs> uh, and uh, I guess... I think they can do very interesting things with bringing him back and saying that not everybody uh, is gone. Um, I am hopeful that he is more of a force ghost coming back rather than a never died kind of thing and uh, was totally fine uh, over these next 40, 50 years, however long it's been, uh, 30 years uh, since uh, Return of the Jedi, and he was just chilling at the base of the Death Star, which... uh, (laughs) Like he was thrown down a shaft and then uh, it was destroyed. And so how he would have survived all of this uh, makes me concerned. But uh, (laughs) we'll see what we'll see what they provide. Exactly. And so what little we know in the new canon is that the Rebel Alliance attempted to use tractor beams to prevent pieces of the Death Star from raining down on the forest moon of Endor. So that way Mm -hmm. there was no terrible uh, environmental catastrophe for the Ewoks to deal with. But it seems like, you know, they didn't necessarily get a hold of all of it because obviously this giant chunk and we're presuming it's Death Star 2 because as we talked about before we started recording, there's that scene with Kylo Ren and Rey in yeah. the destroyed throne room or what looks like it. So yeah. we're operating under the theory that this is a piece of Death Star 2 that mm-hmm. is now sitting somewhere uh, in the middle of the ocean on what's described as the ocean world of Kef Beer. This is apparently mm-hmm. how it's pronounced. Um, okay. So the big question, how is this possible <laughs> without the planet itself having been, or the moon, excuse me, yeah. yes. having been obliterated by the <laughs> arrival of this enormous chunk of Death Star? Well, uh, I mean, they haven't given me much to go off of, but like, uh, I love coming up with theories to try to explain what's on screen. Uh, and so like, uh, I will certainly say that if you just take the naive approach of say, have a death star in orbit around, uh, a moon, a planet, whatever you want, and you allow that thing to come crashing down from space 
um, that will be a catastrophic event unlike anything we've ever observed. Uh, I mean, if you allow a Death Star to fall out of uh, like from uh, orbit, it's probably going to be going thousands of meters per second, like kilometers per second when it comes into contact with the ground. Um, and then that will be just, I mean, I know there's no official number for the mass of a Death Star, but like even with very conservative estimates as to the mass of a Death Star, that is going to have enough energy to be like trillions of nuclear weapons going off at once in one location. Um, so like just as a comparison, uh, the asteroid that uh, we are pretty sure led to the mass extinction associated with the end of the dinosaurs, that was an asteroid the side of, size of Manhattan. And Manhattan is much, much, much smaller than a Death Star. <laughs> and, uh, yep. If that's able to create a mass extinction uh, for 95% of the species on our planet, uh, then sending an entire death star to the surface of a moon like and moons can be large i will acknowledge that so maybe this is a large moon but uh still like it's going to be a catastrophic event so um if they're using tractor beams to try to uh save uh, the wildlife there are a couple things that uh can come from there so it could be that they're just using tractor beams to slow it down enough so that it like casually comes to a rest in the ocean but like even then that's going to be a massive undertaking that thing's broken up into pieces um there's no way it's going to stay into one uh, stay in one piece at all and so you just would have to have tractor beams left and right trying to control it um and pieces are going to come raining down as they come into the atmosphere even slowed down there's going to be a lot of uh air resistance heating them up heating up the air um which will lead to just the overall uh, atmospheric temperature increasing quite a bit. Um, I know when uh, we, when the asteroid that destroyed the dinosaurs hit, um, we think that the surface of the Earth reached essentially the temperature of a pizza oven, like 500 degrees Fahrenheit oh around gosh. the world, just from the heating of this impact. And so, like, even if it lands in an ocean, which like there are other catastrophic things to talk about, <laughs> it's not going to save us from the temperature increases there. Um, but like hitting the ocean, you're going to have to then worry about a tidal wave, uh, like a, a tidal wave beyond anything else. You might even create additional inland lakes by launching water over a mountain into uh, uh, the other side with how big this is going to be. So um, uh, the largest uh, like impact that we have measured, uh, it, it was in 1994 when a, a fragment, uh, well, a bunch of fragments uh, of an asteroid hit Jupiter. And this fragment G was like super big hit Jupiter, uh, and it was, I think, uh, something like uh, 2 million nuclear bombs going off in one place. And this is orders of magnitude larger than that, like uh, kind of catastrophic events. So I would expect that if there was any life on this pl uh, on this moon, uh, Kethbeer, like it probably did not survive. Uh, and so uh, we'll like, we'll see. Uh, I mean, maybe they'll, they'll give us more information about like, oh, uh, the Death Star casually fell down to the uh, the surface because of uh, some combination of tractor beams or something else. But like with chunks that big, it's going to be a horrible, horrible event for anybody on that moon uh, when it came down. Yeah, the only other thing that that I had been working on as a theory potentially was that they were, you know, possibly working on the death star on this moon like it was a third death star for example uh -huh, yeah and maybe this was you know wreckage that they you know never got to finish and maybe you know people found out that oh my gosh they're working on a secret third one or something yeah. like that and yeah. 
you know, but even then, how would you get it into the ocean and why would it even be in the ocean in the first yeah. place? So I really like kind of, uh, in, when you were describing this, I almost said the phrase, uh, like ancient archeology span version of the death star kind of thing, which it's probably not that ancient, but, uh, mm -hmm. the, the idea that this is maybe a third death star that was being constructed on the surface of this planet. And like, certainly you wouldn't want to construct it in the ocean. That would not be a good uh, decision, but, uh, <laughs> they, if they had been constructing it on perhaps a floating platform, or maybe they were constructing it somewhere and then the climate of the planet or the moon shifted quite a bit. And then, uh, like, an area that used to just be low lying gr ground due to sea level rise is now a flooded plain kind of thing. Or uh, perhaps they sucked so much energy out of the planet in creating, or sorry, uh, the moon uh, in creating a, this third death star that it radically shifted uh, the way that uh, the climate worked and uh, led to this uh, shift and just complete flooding of the area. Uh, that would be a way to create um, a significantly less catastrophic event for uh, the moon and still have our wreckage of the Death Star. But um, I will say that does very much look like a Return of the Jedi uh, kind of throne room uh, wreckage mm -hmm. there. So it seems pretty likely that it's Death Star 2. But also, if I'm the emperor of a galaxy creating these massive weapons, I want a throne room in all of my Death Stars. So <laughs> perhaps it could just be uh, that he had one in every, uh, every Death Star. And so we're seeing something that looks similar, but due to uh, galactic efficiency, they're designing all of them exactly the same way. So, Yeah, I wondered about exactly that, whether the yep. first Death Star actually had a throne room, because, I mean... Obviously, we see the second one under construction, and yeah. it looks like there's not a lot of uniformity in the surface. And, mm -hmm. you know, we do get to see Death Star 1 very close up, and yeah. certainly there's, you know, not a uniformity there as well. But it does yeah. seem comparatively level, I guess. Yeah. You know, there yeah. are turbo lasers that are popping up here and there, but it yeah. did seem like it was, you know, much more spiky, to yeah. use a very technical term. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like, uh, I, 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 I always kind of thought like, oh, it's just under construction and they'll smooth it out in the end. And like, as you described, the first one was looked very smooth from far away. And as you get closer, you can see the topology and there are the, uh, the like valleys and canyons that you can fly uh, X-wing through, et cetera. And certainly the turbo cannons that are popping up, et cetera. But like from a distance, it looked very, very smooth. Uh, but like, um, I know this is possibly a very small thing to cite that to indicate that there would be a throne room in every one, but like uh, R2-D2 has basically a universal adapter that can communicate with any galactic uh, computer that could in indicate that they are very uniform across everything. All their soldiers wear the exact same uniforms. They have a very regimented society and like um, it could indicate that, oh, their designs will be very uniform. And so if we could envision where inside uh, the second Death Star the throne room was, we could superimpose the first Death, first Death Star. Um, it's my understanding that the second Death Star was much larger, but like you can take any plans and just make every room bigger kind of right. thing. Uh, or certainly add additional quarters here or there. Like you can certainly fill the space and still have a very similar throne room. I think you're absolutely right and spot on about the Imperial design methodology. I, yeah. They definitely were you know, very systematic about the way they did things. So I think you're yeah. probably very correct in thinking that there's a, a throne room in Death Star 1 and probably in any others they might have manufactured. I would agree with you on that. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, definitely. Uh, and like, um, if there's one thing I know about trying to run a galactic empire, because I do this all the time, <laughs> is that you have to keep things as uniform as possible. Because if you're transferring people from one station to another, you don't want them to have to go through a rigorous training process, etc. And you want it to be as plug and play as possible with everything. So makes perfect sense. This podcast is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox. It is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other related Star Wars items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited or their respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2019 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.